the end account velocification is two places where the bone develops. That's what we call primary and secondary centers of growth. And this is typical of long bones. Long bones like the femur, like the humerus, the radius, limbs, upper limb, lower limb. Everything starts from a cartilage model, like a template of cartilage. Like we see in the uh, x-ray of the, of the fetus, some parts are dark, some parts are clear. They are clear because it's still cartilage, and they will get calcified later on. So this is what we have, and we still recognize the shape of the long bone, and we can describe what is the diaphysis, what is the proximal and distal epiphysis, but everything is made of hyaline cartilage. And since cartilage, there are chondroblasts. Yes? Mm. So that's, it just, it's the layer over the cartilage then? Yes. Mm -hmm. so yes. Over the hyaline cartilage? Yes. Okay. Yes. The pericardium, the, the, the term pericardium means a membrane covering the cartilage. That's uh, why it's on top of the hyaline cartilage. As we see here, pericardium is covering that cartilage initially completely because since everything is cartilage the membrane surrounding the covering it will be perichondrium but then later we'll see that in the diaphysis of the bone in the diaphysis of the bone we see matrix start to get calcified and now the perichondrium will be described only in the parts that is still cartilage So what happens here in the diaphysis is that one center of ossification starts, and that will be the primary center of ossification. As we see here, primary ossification center happens in the diaphysis. We see a nutrient artery invading here, and that's how we will always see in the long bones a little hole. This actually has a name, we will see that in the long bones. Sometimes it's labeled as a nutrient foramen because it's a hole for the blood vessel, the nutrient artery. And the nutrient artery invades that and gets and reaches the primary ossification center. If you see carefully here, you notice that those circles, those are chondrocytes because everything that is blue is still cartilage. So those chondrocytes start growing, dividing, and start looking like piles of coins, one on top of the other, starts growing in length. So the bone starts growing in length. But at the same time, in this area, it looks purple. Purple because it starts getting calcified. And when it's completely calcified, then we see like yellow. So it's a process. The cartilage cells, the chondrocytes, starts growing, make the bone grow in length, and then little by little they get calcified and uh, forming the final bone. Yes? So why is the spongy bone on the inside of the chondrocytes? 
Spongy bone is the one of the transition. It's like a transition stage in this case of compact bone. Because what happens is in the primary ossification center, in the very center of it, there will be spongy bone initially. Then it gets completely reabsorbed and you see just a cavity occupied by fat. It's, it's just a temporary uh, moment of a spongy bone. Here we see how uh, everything keeps growing. Now you see the diaphysis is completely developed. It's all bone, compact bone. And where the, the, the blood vessels are, are in the medullary cavity, that space, which is not shown here, but is filled with fat, adipose tissue. And all the cartilage is being like kind of pushed to both epiphyses. And that's the reason why uh, here is what we can see the epiphyseal growth plate that we call epiphyseal growth plate, still cartilage. Well, that cartilage started from the very beginning. It's just what is remaining uh, during the growth. And still, you see the epiphysis is still cartilage. It's all cartilage. The bone is not completed yet. Then the next stage, then we see the secondary ossification center, which happens in the epiphysis. These chondrocytes start getting uh, start to, to calcify the matrix, and little by little, you will see the formation of the growth plate like this. So there will be the cartilage in between the primary and secondary ossification center, uncalcified extracellular matrix, still cartilage, what we call the uh, epiphyseal growth plate. <coughs> More advanced stage. Now we can see the epiphyseal plate better. And articular cartilage, it is covering the epiphysis. We said that that cartilage is actually part of the initial model. It's not cartilage that appeared all of a sudden covering the epiphysis like a, like a lid or covering. It is the original cartilage that is the model of the lumbo. Questions to this point? Yes. So is the pericardium similar to the periostrium? The pericondrium? Yeah, it is. The only difference is that one of them is covering the, the bone and the other is covering the cartilage. Okay. Yeah, both are membranes of connective tissue. And all the steps are summarized right here. So ossification is usually complete by that age, 18 to 21 years. Nobody grows after 21, 22, maybe some genetic variability. Some people grow until 22, 23, but outliers, it's not the rule. And some people did grow until, until stop, stop growing at 18 and no more than that. It depends, it's a range. There's always outliers, like in the statistics, or groups of people. And um, nobody can grow at 25, 26. You don't grow anymore. So if someone tells you that they make you grow with doing exercises or something like that, they're lying. They're not making you grow. 
no one can make you grow. What they can make you do is to correct your posture, and then you grow. Usually like this, but if I do this, then straighten my back and I just, just grew one inch. <laughs> That's what they do. I mean, they say, will make you grow. They promise you with exercise. Well, they correct your posture, actually. Well, that's what they do. But there's no more growth. Growth. The bones will not get longer. And here we see another, again, that x-ray of the three-year-old where we can see the epiphyseal plate. This is something we see sometimes when um, sometimes parents bring their kids bring their kid very worried because the kid is not growing. I mean, it's short. And everybody makes fun of them at school and says there's something wrong. We can make some vitamins and some things to make this kid grow. And it seems short. And see, what well, first thing we do is take an X-ray to the hands or to the knees. I show the hands and see if there's still epiphyseal growth plate. If there's still epiphyseal growth plate, that kid still has to grow. There is something wrong. Perhaps some hormonal problem. Uh, some nutritional problem, perhaps, but the kid's still growing. But if we see no more epiphyseal plate, then bad news, not growing anymore. That's it. Got short, got short, nothing to do. Why? Well, that's the second thing. There are some, uh, sometimes, injuries to the epiphyseal plates, like medications, some drugs, some drugs, uh, prescription drugs that are given for specific reasons, they may have as a secondary effect the early closure of the epiphyseal plate. So those medications are not supposed to be given to kids and uh, because they can stop growth. They just stay short because well, the epiphyseal plate is calcified and no more growth. So is that caffeine? Like how they say caffeine stunts your growth? No. Caffeine does? no. There are some type of antibiotics, for instance that have to be given only to adults and not give it to kids. And sometimes that's one of the reasons uh, we always tell people, always tell people that don't, uh, before taking the medication, they have to, I mean, they have to be prescribed. Or sometimes they say, oh, this pill is good for me. It worked for me. Maybe it works for your kid. And they give it to the kid and the kid not growing anymore. So which of these, which of these, is an adult, and which one is a young person? Can you tell? B is, an adult. B is the adult. Easy. You don't see the epiphyseal gold plate, the epiphyseal plate. You don't see it anymore. That person is not growing anymore. So that's how you can tell the age. Not exactly the age, but approximately tell. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is possible. It is possible, and there are, there are some types of fractures that occur at that point. And um, if the cartilage is damaged, injured, it is possible that that particular bone will not grow in length anymore. But it's possible. But sometimes it heals very well, and the bone keeps growing. Huh? For what? For making it grow? If there's cartilage, it will work. If there's no cartilage, what you will have is a deformed bone. That's the problem. Yeah. So like, like an epiphyseal plate fracture, would that 
If you put it back? Yeah. Ideally, in theory, you could. <laughs> Hasn't been done yet. And I doubt it because it's part of the same tissue. It's a cartilage model. So you break a piece of it and the body will start healing process. Uh, and as I said, I mean, it's, it's in theory, it's possible. I mean, you can make a group perhaps in the future. Um, there are some uh, uh, weird things that you can find on the internet of people that tried different experiments to make people grow, like uh, putting uh, implants in between the bones. They cut the bones and put an implant in between. And, but sometimes that, that leads to serious complications, not successfully completely. Yeah. Human growth hormone. Human growth hormone or HGH. Uh, yeah, we were talking about that. The slide is blurry, so don't think you're getting blind. It's some, yeah, people rubbing your eyes. It's like, it is blurry. Um, and, it's called, uh, and it's called an anabolic hormone because this actually makes the bone grow. But as I said, as long as there is cartilage, if there is still epiphyseal plate, your bone will grow. If there's no more epiphyseal plate, your bone keeps growing. Yeah, but it, it grows without any control. Not necessarily. Um, but the HGH has different um, actions also. Not only make the bone grow. For instance, the HGH uh, increases your levels of glucose in the blood. So it can make you kind of diabetes-like problem. Uh, and... As I said, it, it can make your bones grow, but deformed. So you can have the fingers will grow, but it will get a thick yeah. fingers, and it will compress the nerves, the blood vessels. It will be a problem. Yeah. If you see that, a, a kid that is not growing, and you, t and you see that there's still a superficial plate, well, yeah, in some cases they give this growth hormone and make the kid grow and try to catch up the height. So remodeling, we talked about remodeling last time, and it's a process by which the bone it is continuously being replaced and reshaped under the action of both of these cells, osteoclasts and osteoblasts. And here's the balance. If there is too much of the action of the osteoblasts is uh, more than the osteoclast action, then we may see problems. One of the problems is called acromegaly, where the bones get very thick and very heavy, usually under the influence of growth hormone, but abnormal levels, excessive amount of growth hormone. Or if there is not enough calcium in the diet and the body is not getting enough calcium, the bones will grow but weak. And that's what we call osteoporosis. They may become soft. And there are some diseases also called rickets and osteomalacia. And it depends on the age. Yes. Why are women more prone to osteoporosis? Women are more prone to osteoporosis because they lack estrogens as effect of the menopause. And the estrogens are really important 
for the maintenance of this balance, osteoclasts and osteoblasts. Not only the estrogens, testosterone, the male hormone also. I mean, everyone has osteoporosis. They start having osteoporosis after 30. 30, 31, and you take a, a densitometry, the study to measure the density of the bones, and you, you, you see that the curve starts to decline. But very slow, very slow. But then after menopause and women, it goes like, accelerated uh, under the effect, because of the effect of lack of estrogens. Now the normal bone formation and metabolism, the process of calcium and everything depends of course, many factors. One of them is the amount of calcium, the amount of calcium that we have in our body, phosphorus and some magnesium, fluoride, manganese, so the bone will grow normally and healthy. Vitamins are also necessary. Vitamin A seems to stimulate osteoblasts. Vitamin C, C for collagen. Vitamin C is essential for formation of collagen. If you want to get strong collagen or replace the collagen, or form new collagen, guarantee that you don't, you're not deficient in collagen, vitamin C. Vitamin C will uh, contribute to formation of collagen. And vitamin D is highlighted here because it's essential for the bones. It promotes absorption of calcium at the gastrointestinal tract. Where is the vitamin D produced? Where is it formed? The skin. We mentioned that in the skin. We mentioned that in the skin. So good levels of vitamin D guarantee that you get, that the calcium that you eat is absorbed and you can get that calcium in your blood and in your tissues. Again, HGH, human growth hormone, and growth factors known as IGFs, they are made by the liver and stimulate osteoblasts. Increase cell division at the epiphyseal plate and stimulate protein synthesis and making the bone grow. Proteins like collagen, collagen is a fiber, it's a protein. So more collagen, more matrix, more chondrocytes and improves growth of the bone. Hormones like thyroid hormone from the thyroid gland are also important for growth. Kids with low levels of thyroid, they also remain short. They don't grow properly. And even worse, the thyroid hormones are very important for the brain. So they may be small and they have some degree of mental retardation if the deficiency of thyroid hormone is severe. Insulin produced by the pancreas, also promotes bone growth. So there's a lot of factors that intervene. That's why when we see problems of growth, uh, it's not only about the seeing the genetics, it's also metabolism, hormones, endocrine system. Um, there's a whole group of factors that intervene. And still more, the sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone, female and male sex hormone. They are very important, especially in adolescence. That's when we see the growth spurt in the teenage years. 
And you see that uh, kids are in seventh grade, sixth grade, and eighth grade. Because all the girls are tall, and the boys are short. Like <laughs> but then, 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 then we catch up and oops. But that's a growth spurt. That happens first in the in female and then in man. Um, sex hormones will make the bones grow according to the um, male and female pattern. The pelvis in female is completely different than the pelvis in male. We'll see those differences when we study those bones. And they're also responsible for the closure of the pictures of plates at the end of the puberty. That growth spurt is represented here. The rate of height increased, and in girls, the dotted lines, it happens first, and then the boys much later. Calcium is very important, we said. So the calcium levels in the blood must be maintained. And how they are maintained? Well, we eat calcium in our diets, but not only that, there are hormones specific for regulation of calcium levels. And these hormones are to PTH, that stands for parathyroid hormone, and calcitonin. How they work, we see them in this graph. Calcitonin is produced and released by the thyroid gland. If the calcium levels in the blood are too high, then the calcitonin is made, released to the blood, and increase the calcium deposits in the bones. This is very logical. There's a lot of calcium in the blood. We have to get rid of that calcium. How to get rid of that calcium? They put it in the bone. Increase the deposit in the bones. It's too much. We don't have to take more. Decrease calcium uptake in the intestines. And decrease reabsorption. We're not reabsorbing, so we start losing calcium in the urine because there's too much in the blood. Now, if that calcium levels goes too low, then you get here. That is the stimulus for parathyroid hormone, I mean parathyroid gland that produces and releases PTH. Since the levels are low now, we need to increase the levels. We need to get calcium. Where do we get calcium from? From the bones. We have a lot of calcium there. So we increase calcium release from the bones. And what cell is going to work here to release calcium from the bones? Osteoclasts. So we can say that the PTH stimulates the action of the osteoclasts. The osteoclasts are releasing calcium from the bones. Second action is increased calcium uptake. There's not enough in the blood. We need more. So we need to get more in the intestines. From the diet, we start increase the reabsorption of the absorption. And in the kidney, we increase the reabsorption. We need to recover all that calcium that has been lost in the urine. So to increase the levels and make them normal. And that's how we achieve homeostasis. And these two hormones are working all the time. These two loops linked to maintain the level of calcium. 
But if you don't have enough calcium in the diet, then you create a problem here. And even though both hormones are working, trying to balance this out, the levels will be low and the calcium, I mean, the bones will have the consequences, <coughs> will suffer the consequences. So this is what we said. PTH stimulates osteoclasts and raises the calcium level in the blood. Calcitonin stimulates osteoblasts. And vitamin D is essential for absorption of calcium and uh, phosphates uh, from the digestive system. All that we said is seen here um, related to the PTH, calcium homeostasis and PTH. PTH, like increasing the activity of osteoclasts, kidneys retaining calcium, and uh, in that way the lupus maintained. Questions to this point? Yes? So is HGH similar to a steroid? No, it's not similar. It has the same anabolic function, like it increases the metabolism, but in a different way. The steroids increases the metabolism, increases all these chemical reactions, but specifically would not promote bone growth. Now let's take a look at some fractures. A fracture is breaking the bone. It's a very common thing. And the bone, as we said, bones are living tissues, so they will heal. They heal very well. When we break a bone, it may happen in a different way, following different mechanisms, and according to that, is that we can classify them. Fractures may be partial or complete, depending if the fracture is all the way through the bone. They may be closed or open, also known simple and compound. When a piece of bone, a piece of the broken bone, ruptures and punches the skin, you can see it outside. An open fracture. Green stick. Green stick fracture, which is a linear break. Linear break in the bone, the bone cortex. This is particularly common in children. And there are other different types, like impacted, Comminuted, spiral, transfer. Let's see some pictures and x-rays to make the difference. This is an example of green stick fracture, the ones that happen in children mostly. And you can tell that x-ray is from a kid. You can see epiphyseal plates. You can see epiphyseal plates in the radius and the ulna. And you see the fracture here. What is typical is this kid coming to the emergency with a broken arm or forearm. And you can see the forearm, if it's a problem, is bent. It's bent. It's like a, like, like a green stick. Like when you try to break a, 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 a plant, you try to break it, and since it's green, it's fresh, you cannot break it. It bends. So you see the forearm bent. Yeah. Why are those more common in children? Why? You tell me. What was what's in there still? 
still cartilage. There is still cartilage. That's why. Yeah, it's not completely calcified. It's still growing. So that bone matrix is not completely calcified yet. It is calcified as bone, but it's still soft. It, yeah, exactly. So it breaks, as you see here, but it doesn't break all the way through. It bends. And of course, as you can imagine, this is much easier to heal with kids. Very quick to heal tissues, and fractures, wounds, everything. Impacted fracture, the name says about the mechanism. You see the humerus here. It's broken at the halfway. But in this X-ray, you see the fracture closer to the distal epiphysis. That's how we use, start using the terms. In the very first chapter, we studied the proximal, distal, superior, inferior. Okay. And now it's useful to describe this. There's a fracture in the humerus. Where in the fracture? Diaphysis or epiphysis? Epiphysis. What epiphysis? There are two, distal or proximal. That's distal. We're close to the shoulder. So there's a fracture in the distal, I mean proximal epiphysis of the, um, of the humerus. Impacted. Why impacted? This is an example like people that jumps from the, from the roof or the second floor and they land on the hands like this and impact all the weight of the body, all the forces in one bone and it breaks sometimes in different pieces. As an example of open fracture or compound fracture. Maybe one piece of the bone, sometimes both ends of the bone, or both pieces they can show on the skin. It depends on the mechanism. Uh, it's common in accidents and car accidents, motorcycle accidents, which where the, the forces are really uh, high and uh, they break the fractures and the skin is broken sometimes. And these are other types, like uh, oblique fracture, where the line is not transverse, it's oblique. Comminuted fracture. Comminuted stands for many pieces. For many pieces. So you see the bone broken here. Many pieces. This is typical of gunshots. When the bullet goes through the, uh, through the bone, it shatters the bone. Many pieces. It usually requires surgery to bring all the pieces together, put some plates or screws, and uh, reshape the, the, the bone sometimes. Spiral. It goes around. That depends on, again, the mechanism. You know, sometimes when they put your upper limb to your back like this and they twist you, Sometimes they break the bone in that in that way, or in the sports when your lower limb gets trapped in a like a four or five different players and get stuck and everything twisted and you can break the bone. The femur, this is the femur. The femur is not easy to break. It's actually very resistant. This uses as an example here. So the tibia and fibula in the leg are the more more common to be broken in in sports. And there are other types of fractures. Uh, 
following different classification, this is uh, called pathologic fracture, or pathological fracture. Uh, this is a fracture that is not usual. It doesn't happen in uh, people unless they have some severe chronic disease like cancer or osteoporosis. It's a pathological fracture. Like people uh, break their femurs, especially elderly, and they just uh, bump to the chair and uh, stumble and they fall at home, they break the femur. You do the same, you don't break your femur. But they have osteoporosis and that those little traumas, they can break the bone. That's called pathological fracture. Stress fracture, repeated activities like running sometimes. It depends on the type of force that is applied. That usually happens in sports. Some fractures, they have a specific name. They are um, named with an eponym, which means someone's name. Like these examples, a colis fracture of the distal radius, or Potts fracture of the distal fibula. These types of fractures follow certain pattern, uh, patterns, and they happen under common mechanisms. That's why uh, they receive some specific name. It almost looks the same. This is an example of a colis fracture. Distal radius. So the radius is broken in this way. And sometimes the ulna is broken also. And this is typical of people that, again, they fall from uh, high places, the second floor, the roof, and they land all down on their upper limbs, especially the hand. Well, it's natural. When you fall down, you try to protect your head and your face, and you do this, that's the first thing you do. But uh, the force of the, the weight of your body it's all supported by the wrist. Like this is what happens. Cold fracture or dinner fork deformity, they call it also, because it looks like the curve of the fork. That's how they come to the margins sometimes. You see, recognize like this shape of it, like this, like a fork. And sometimes it is open fracture. So you see the pieces of rays and all are coming out through the skin here. And it's not only the bone. We will see that here we have the radial artery, we have the medial nerve, important things. And they can be injured in those, uh, in those fractures. That's a picture of how it looks, the fork deformity like this. Now let's talk about the bone uh, healing, bone repair. As any other tissue, it heals when there's an injury. But this process is different, and it follows uh, the different, different steps that we'll describe here. The first step, I mean, the first step happens very quick in terms of hours, six to eight hours after injury. And uh, first thing is a hematoma, collection of blood. 
as we see here. See the periosteum here? And under the periosteum, there is a hematoma because the bone is broken and the compact bone contains central canals, contains the blood vessels, all they break and start bleeding and every, all the blood is collected under the periosteum. And that is really painful. And that's one of the reasons that sometimes people are waiting in the emergency, when they come to the emergency with a broken bone, they take the x-ray, they say you have a fracture, and it's okay, let's, uh, let's wait and we'll come back to treat you, or put a cast, or get a boot, or something. And they're waiting for six hours, four hours, and they say, why they don't come and help me? I'm waiting too long. But we're waiting. We're waiting for this time. Why? Because we, if we put the cast right away, as soon as we see the x-ray, and the fracture happened two hours ago, and you put a cast, after two more hours, all your limb will swell up, and it will be compressed by the cast. So the more we wait, especially this time, it depends on part of the body, then it will be much less risky to put a cast and to prevent compressions of the blood vessels and nerves, usually. So after this time, where the hematoma is uh, formed under the periosteum, we weigh that time and we apply a cast, for instance, in mobilization, so the healing process will continue. And the third, second and third step is formation of a callus. Formation of a callus. What is a callus? That, exactly that place where the hematoma was, the connective tissue is stimulated to form more fibroblasts. So more fibroblasts divide and uh, start producing new matrix. And that new matrix is cartilage because the bone has to be formed on a template of cartilage. And so the fibroblasts will start dividing and will start depositing collagen fiber and then bone. But first, it turns into a fibrocartilage, and that's what we call fibrocartilaginous callus first. That's the second step in the process. How long it takes? Well, a few weeks, usually. The regular average time that a cast is kept in the, around the bone that is broken is eight weeks, six to eight weeks. Again, thinking about this time. Sometimes people are so impatient and they say, oh, well, I'm two weeks with this cast and I think I can move my limb, it's fine. It doesn't hurt anymore. I say, remove my cast, I'm ready. No, you have to wait four more weeks. Well, four more weeks, I feel fine. I, mean, that's, I better take it myself. And they, go, tuk, tuk, tuk. And they do it, actually. But what happens? There's still not bone yet. Yeah, the bone is healing, but it's still fibrocartilaginous callus. And that, that bone may break again easily. Sometimes it doesn't happen, lucky, but it may happen. Or chronic pain may, um, may appear, and people may have chronic pain. They're going to five years after, they start, oh, it hurts, I don't know why. You remember when you removed your cast <laughs> and didn't hear? I said, no, it's not that. But sometimes, but then they, what happens is the, um, Cartilaginous uh, callus turns into bony callus.
and barnacles. And this is what we see after approximately, it depends, although this is a callus, but it's still fibrocartilaginous callus. If you take a closer look here in the, the shape of the bone, it's like this. That's because of the callus. That's a good sign. That means it's healing properly. But if you see in the middle here, there's still a clear area. So that means it's still cartilage. It's getting calcified, but it's still cartilage there. So the cast should not be removed yet. And the whole sequence is below day one, day four, day seven. Two weeks, you see the, the callus there. Here you see the fibrocartilaginous, the big one. It then gets better. And at six months, look, it's almost normal. The bone, you can't tell that there is a fracture, that there was a fracture there. That's remodeling. That is remodeling. So the osteoblasts and osteoclasts will reshape the bone and go back to the original shape and original everything is good now and nothing happened. So the point in healing fractures and the repair fracture is to uh, guarantee that that bone will grow and regrow normally to the same aspect that it had before. And that's one of the things that are achieved when there's a complex fracture, like a comminuted after a gunshot, many pieces. And what they do is put all the pieces together with plates and screws and just let it heal. And the bone will heal and the, all the metals will provide like the guide and the bone will heal properly and, and fine. The remodeling takes a long time, several months. Several months before you completely recover. Usually six months. And that's why after fracture, after a fracture, usually it's very advisable to go to physical therapy, to regain movement, exercises of different types. And the physical therapists know about this. They know, they know what type of exercise are, uh, are best for this. Exercise and bone tissue. Exercise is very important because we are putting our bones in stress. And under mechanical stress, the bone gets stronger. If we don't use the bones, they become weaker. You see people that are hospitalized for six months, eight months, not moving from the bed. They get osteoporosis, they are not exercising. The bones are not getting stronger, they're weaker. And this, everything is about homeostasis. But those bones are not moving, the body is completely mobile, not moving at all, and the bones readjust to the new situation. Gravity is very important. The gravity is very important for maintaining the bone density. People that come back from space, astronauts, they come back with osteoporosis, to some degree of osteoporosis, because there was no gravity there. Especially exercises that in, involve um, weight, weights with bearings, that's, uh, those are the best. Aging, and here is osteoporosis. Decrease in bone mass occurs at the same time that the head sex hormones declines in women after menopause. Osteoclasts 
prevail over the osteoblasts stimulating bone resorption. And female bones are usually smaller, they have less calcium, and that's why they are more impacted after menopause. Loss of bone mass, calcium is lost from the bone, osteoporosis is the consequence, but not only bone, because as part of the aging process, collagen fibers, which are proteins, and made by fibroblasts, by the effects of aging, they also decline in production. And so the bones become weak because they have less calcium, but also because the collagen fibers and the matrix is deficient in collagen and substance and then make them very susceptible to fracture. And then if they fracture, the second thing is that it's hard for these bones to heal. And it takes usually a very long time. That's when someone, someone with 90 years old that have a, a fracture of the femur, it takes a long time to heal. And sometimes it, it requires immobilization, complete immobilization, and that brings other complications like pneumonia, like skin infections, and, and it's very high risk mortality when someone breaks a bone at that age because it takes a long time to heal. And they are not able to do exercise usually, not uh, like a young person that can quickly start moving and exercising. It's completely different. And then won't their bones be more brittle after the healing process if they were bedridden? Yeah, 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 that's true. My grandfather broke his femur when he was 91 years old. Yeah, but he's a very strong guy. He was a very strong guy. He died when he was 96. He, he broke his bone at 91 and recovered. Yeah, everyone was scared. No, no. He didn't want to do surgery because it was just too old, 91. It's not too high risk. And uh, they decided to do some surgery and they fixed the bone and he left the hospital and he didn't want to, he wanted to take the bus home. <laughs> He's so stubborn and feel fine. No, that, that, that's genetics. That's genetics also. And this is how it looks, osteoporosis um, at the microscopic level. You can see how porous the bone is and weak. Um, and that's the curve. As a curve, you see, after 30, after 30, start falling down. And even more after menopause. But osteoporosis, huh? Does everyone get that curve? Yeah, more, some people more pronounced than others. Yeah. But everyone decreases in bone density after 30. Very, very small, uh, very slow initially, and then it gets uh, much quicker later on, after 55, 60, and female. It may also happen in male, because testosterone is also important. And testosterone declines with the age also, but not in the same degree as to estrogens. That's why people shrink, apparently drink, what happens is 
that the vertebrae, the vertebral column, that one are one on top of the other, coins, a pile of coins, but every vertebrae has a specific thickness. And that size, I mean, the vertebrae collapses, collapses under the weight of the body, the, the, the bones are weak, and the weight is too much, and it starts getting compressed year by year, year by year. And you add that effect of 31 vertebrae, and this is what you have from 55 to 75. You see the belly? That's the reason of the belly sometimes. Sometimes you see a grandmother with a belly, you say, she didn't have a belly before, what happened? It's just a vertebral column, it's changing its curvature and changing the whole thing. Now the ribs are almost in contact with the pelvic bone here. And of course you see the, the hole, I mean, the height, and it looks like they shrunk in the last five or ten years. And uh, it's a compression of the vertebral column, that's osteoporosis. Some people have this very bad because of the vertebral column gets very curved. And you get like a hump here. And of course that comes with pain sometimes. And does that create pain in the hips when the ribs are running against them? Yeah, in general, this back pain, the muscles react, contracting, and yeah, it just, it's all together. So arthritis, does it happen to everyone once you get past a certain age and everything? Uh, osteoarthritis, osteoarthritis or osteoarthrosis happens usually after 60, 60, 65, but it's not the same in everyone. Okay. Everyone gets a little bit, but some people get much worse than others, yeah. Okay, so what time is it? Okay, I made you 5.45 in the lab. I'll open the doors at 5.45, so be there. Yeah.